This is an ABC podcast. Hey, are you listening to me right now with headphones? Because do me a favour if you are, and I really hate saying this, I really, really hate saying this, can you turn me down a bit? Because if you're blasting music or podcasts every day or you're going to heaps of really loud gigs, you could be doing permanent damage and you're going to regret it. I can guarantee it. Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for Hack. Later, you're going to hear about the research that's found more than a billion young people around the world are at risk of hearing loss. It's pretty scary stuff, but it's also easy to protect yourself. And if DJs are doing it, we all can too. First, though. Hack. A wave of energised women are determined to make their voices known. There's a renewed sense of urgency for female voters to elect candidates who share their beliefs. On Triple Jack. Yeah, there's a big old debate happening in conservative political circles at the moment, and it's outraged a lot of others. Conservatives are talking about the biggest threat to their future. And guess what? It could be you. Apparently, young single women are the biggest threat to right-wing parties. This has all been sparked from the recent midterm elections in the US and the fallout from all of that. Now the conversation's reached Australia, but a lot of conservative women here are pretty pissed. They're saying, no, young single women should actually be seen as the biggest opportunity to conservatives, not a threat. To explain, here's Shalala Madora. But once women get married, they vote Republican. Married women, married men, go for Republicans by double digits. In recent midterm elections in the US, young single women overwhelmingly voted for the Democrats, the more progressive of the two political parties. And Republicans, the Conservative Party, were freaked out. So we need these ladies to get married. And it's time to fall in love and just settle down. Guys, go put a ring on it. And it's not just American Conservatives who are having a small panic. Conservative commentator for the Australian newspaper, Nick Cater, this week wrote an op-ed that ruffled a few feathers. Young women may be more ideologically drawn to the left than those older and wiser to the ways of the world particularly those who had the dubious fortune of attending university. His argument was that single women are a threat to conservative parties because of the end of the traditional family structure. Single women, particularly single mothers, have a vested interest in state intervention. A generation ago, they could have expected a breadwinner to support them. Today, that breadwinner is the government to all intents and purposes, an ever-reliable partner with deep pockets to top up their meagre income. Needless to say, Charlotte Mortlock was not impressed. It was insulting and uh, condescending, but it was also just not in our party's interest to try and get those women on board. Charlotte's a member of the Liberal Party and founder of Hilmer's Network, a place for women who are curious about Liberal Party politics to discuss issues. To attack them seems just, you know, above anything else, really poor political strategy. The treatment of women was a huge issue for the coalition, that is, the Liberal and National parties. Jenny and I spoke last night and she said to me, you have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? Jenny has a way of clarifying things. Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison was criticised for his handling of allegations of sexual assault in Parliament House, and it contributed to some pretty dismal results. 
Like, no one's going to deny that we didn't have a women's problem uh, before we went into the election. According to some reports, just one in three women gave the coalition their primary vote in May's federal election. And more than half of all women voters disapproved of Scott Morrison's leadership. The average Australian person is a female 37-year-old. Charlotte says it's important that the Liberal Party looks and sounds like average Australians. And that isn't happening at the moment. Our average Liberal Party member is a male in his 60s. And that disconnect is really causing a lot of issues for us. The fact is, Australian society is changing. The marriage rate has been falling for decades as more women choose to pursue tertiary education and stay in the workplace longer. Plus, census data shows an interesting generational trend. Baby boomers, time at the centre of policy debate may soon be coming to an end. The latest census data out today shows they're being matched in numbers by millennials for the first time. And that has political consequences. Like, young people are just less likely to vote for Conservative parties. Like, that's an empirical fact worldwide. Dr Maria Teflaga is the director of the Australian Politics Studies Centre. Women, especially with tertiary education, more more likely or statistically more likely to, to vote for a progressive or a green party. She says that's because of the issues young women in particular are interested in. Women are much more likely to be concerned about the environment. They're much more likely to be interested in care uh, sector issues around education and public health. The thing is, even though we know about these trends, the major parties have been pretty slow to capitalise on them. I do not think that politicians in Australia are focusing on women, like perhaps, like we're being underestimated. Aggie Germanolis is 27 and lives in Nam, Melbourne. She says progressive parties have done better at putting forward policies that matter to her age group. Because the issues are issues that matter to everyone, but are issues that disproportionately affect young women. And she doesn't really see herself reflected in Parliament. Politics does seem like a bit of a bloke fest. That's something Charlotte agrees with too. She reckons instead of criticising young single women, the Liberal Party should be trying to recruit them. This is a demographic that is increasingly involved and engaged in politics, and we need to look at that as an opportunity. Hack on Triple Jack. Shalala Madora there. Let's get into this a bit more. And Amy Ramakis is a political reporter with Guardian Australia. She's with us now. Amy, young single women, the biggest threat to conservative politics. Definitely keen to hear what you think of this one. What were your first thoughts when you read this? Oh, when I first read it, I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, are we really going down this route again? Like, oh, put a ring on it because women just don't know what's best for them until some guy marries them and just tells them how they should be voting because they don't know how to do it themselves. They just need to be guided. I was like, what is this? How is this 2022 and somebody is still coming up with the, oh, women just need to vote the way that their husbands do and the country will be just fine. I don't, (laughs) I'm still so angry about it. I mean, apart from the fact that what happened in the United States is completely different electorally with what happens here. And in the United States, women were voting for body autonomy, which is not as much of an issue here. It also just completely ignores the fact that 
the people who did not vote for the Republican Party didn't vote for them because there was nothing there for them to, to be offered. And if you want people to vote for you, and that goes for across the world where there's free elections, then come up with policies that people can support. Don't blame the voter. Have a look at what you're doing and going, oh, gosh, shit, maybe we should try something else. Yeah, got some messages on the text line. Georgia says, turns out young, educated women are keen on compassion and equality. What a shock. Um, Amy, we just heard from Charlotte Mortlock, Liberal Party member, saying, at the very least, this is pretty bad political messaging when the average Australian, according to the census, is a 37-year-old woman. You speak to a lot of politicians in your work. Are they actually taking this issue seriously? Like, are they talking about this behind closed doors? Some of them are talking about it behind closed doors. The Greens particularly are, but I think that people would expect that. But I think the biggest problem with Parliament is that the average in Parliament is, you know, a 50-something-year-old white man. So they're thinking of completely different generationally in terms of what is representative of Australian society. So we don't have, you know, enough millennials in the parliament for it to make a difference in policy as much, let alone, you know, Gen Z and younger, because Australians, Australian politics tends to be conservative anyway. We're a fairly conservative nation and our parliament reflects that. And that's because our major parties pre-select people who look like them, who have traditionally always looked like them, which is middle-aged white men, and then they just keep continuing that trend. And if you're only talking to other middle-aged white men, then is it any wonder we have the policies that we do? And just quickly, do you think this kind of commentary is going to drive young women away from politics or into politics because, you know, they're (laughs) frustrated by it? I think that it would probably drive uh, quite a few of them into politics because they're just sick of being patronised and spoken down to. Always appreciate your insights. Political journalist Amy Ramakis, thanks so much for jumping on Hack. Anytime. Let's go to someone else now who knows conservative politics really well. We've got on the line Catherine Cusack. She was a Liberal politician in New South Wales up until this year when she resigned. She is with us now. G'day, Catherine. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me. I've seen some comments that you've been making about this and you're a bit concerned about the commentator who's caused this whole blow-up in Australia who's with the Menzies Research Centre, which is a think tank associated with the Liberal Party. What's your concern? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, Nick Cater is a is a, Mur- a Murdoch journalist and we know that we've got Murdoch media and the role they've played in American politics but also in the UK, um, in the Menzies Research Centre, which is taxpayer-funded in two ways. It gets direct grants from the federal government and, secondly, donations made to it are all tax-deductible. And I just really have a problem with taxpayers funding this sort of rubbish, um, reactionary thinking. It's not conservative, it's reactionary. These are you that don't belong in the 21st century uh, or the 20th century even. And taxpayers should not be funding this sort of nonsense. You know, of course, in many ways, Australian politics has moved forward over the years and we're seeing more diverse parliaments. That's great. But when you read stuff like this as someone who was, you know, a young Liberal woman who started out in the party, do you think maybe we've gone backwards in some uh, sense? Look, 
Can I tell you my own experience when I joined the Liberals in the nine? I joined the Young Liberals in the 1980s, and I was actually the first female Young Liberal president. And the whole party celebrated that, and I felt very supported, and encouraged, and pursued a career in politics off the back of uh, the Liberal Party wanting to increase female participation, wanting to listen to us and wanting to have policies that we could all relate to. I might add, I was a single woman and I was at university and that was all seen as a good thing. So to, what's happened, to, Catherine? To be experiencing now, I, I just want to say that that this is not a party that's been stuck in the mud. This is a party that was moving forward and is now in a massive reversal, I would argue, because it's been taken over by interest groups ranging from churches to fossil fuel companies to a whole lot of interest groups who don't have the public interest, particularly those of women and young women at heart. And that is what is being reflected now in this policy rubbish. And it honestly breaks my heart to see um, what a Conservative Party really being converted into a reactionary party, so just, denying climate change, denying women, um, denying the environment. These are these are really bad trends in the Liberal Party, and I, and that's really why I couldn't do it anymore, and I had to leave. The party has changed and gone backwards. Yeah, well, ju- well, I mean, just quickly, Catherine, what do you think the solution is for the Liberal Party to win over young single women, aka scary monsters? Look, this, um, can I say this might sound really harsh, but I think uh, it's really now down to the voters to reform the Liberal Party because, and we saw that happen in the federal election, where Scott Morrison was absolutely determined to proceed on with these Neanderthal views, and ultimately it was voters uh, who rectified the situation by putting them out of power. I suspect that's uh, going to happen in Victoria, where the Liberals will continue to be in opposition, and also in New South Wales. And I really hope that being put back into opposition will be an opportunity for those parties to reflect and, and return back to their roots. I don't know what the future is for them. All I know is that these views are absolutely not fit for government. Uh, women, all women, and, and, and can I tell you, a lot of feedback I had was the idea that young women are progressive and that's a threat. Um, I had older women saying to me, I'm progressive, you know, like yeah. just because I'm not a young woman. And, and the men who support these women are passionate about the issue too. Many of the teals, I mean, if it was only women voting progressively, that's not enough. It's men standing up for women as well who are as as offended by these views as we are. Well, it's great to hear your perspective on it. Former New South Wales Liberal MP Catherine Cusack, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me. Hack. I'm definitely not dependent on them at all. I feel like I'm very independent. I'm paying all my own bills, all financially independent. On Triple J. You know, when you hear about someone taking a gap year, it usually means they're heading off on a mad trip around the world, blowing off some steam after the pressure cooker that was high school, maybe before uni. But in regional Australia, heaps of students use their gap year to slog it out at work so they can get youth allowance when they move to the city. Because even if you are in the city, away from your parents, you're doing it on your own, you're probably not considered independent. 
And students are tired of this. They're saying this age of independence needs to be lowered because it's having a big impact on young people, especially those from the bush. Louise Mylan has this story from Albany in WA. It's 3.40 in the morning and Emily Robinson's starting her day bright and early. So I'll wake up, I'll quickly put on gym clothes, grab my keys, grab my bag and lunch that I've already packed and head straight out the door. I wake up and then within five, ten minutes, I'm out of here. After a quick session at the gym, she heads to her shift at the Abattoir in Albany, five hours' drive south of Perth. It's not exactly a job Emily envisioned herself in. I'm a vegetarian, (laughs) but I'm willing to give anything a go and it's really good money there. Emily's 19 and the Abattoir isn't her only gig. She also works at a dive shop, does dive tours, works on a whale-watching boat and tutors kits. That makes five jobs this year before she moves to Perth to study biomedicine. Do you have a weekend? At the moment, I'm working seven days a week. And it's actually a common story in regional Australia. People like Emily work loads on a gap year so they can get youth allowance when they move to the city for uni. But why does Emily need this working gap year? Basically, it's also she can be independent in Centrelink's eyes. If you're younger than 22, Centrelink classes you as dependent on your parents, even if they don't support you financially. So your parents' income can play a big role in whether you get a payment or not. One way most students under 22 try to get that independent status is to work for at least 30 hours a week for 18 months. Hence, Emily's gap year. The rules around work hours can change depending on where you live. For example, there's a rule in the regions where you could do part-time work for two years after leaving school. But the bottom line is, to be classed as totally independent from your parents, you got to work a heap if you don't have a baby or proper relationship that's registered or de facto. This program disproportionately affects regional students because so many of them are doing that gap year. They don't get the luxury of just going straight into university from high school. This is Georgie Beatty from the National Union of Students. The maximum you can get on youth allowance if you're single, over 18 and living away from home is 530 bucks a fortnight. But the union says 450,000 young people are locked out of accessing youth allowance because of the independence rules. This has devastating effects on their mental health, on their educational outcomes and their financial stability and ability to, you know, keep a roof over their heads and all of these things that are core to being a student. Georgie reckons there's also many more, like Emily, working a gap year to get around the age rule so they can get the payments they need to move to the big smoke. This policy doesn't affect students in metropolitan areas as much because for a lot of them, it means that they can just stay at home with their parents, right? Georgie says the youth allowance rules can be confusing and add to the stress of moving away. I went down to the University of Wollongong and there was a student there still waiting to get approved for Centrelink after he'd worked for a year. That was a terrifying wait for him to know that he hadn't, you know, mucked anything up because you have to work a certain amount of hours and all of these other things. The Students' Union wants all young people to be classed as independent from the age of 18. It means that these regional students don't have to go through that terrifying wait of figuring out whether or not they're going to get their independence. It means that they can go to university with the freedom of a welfare safety net that's going to be able to protect them if they lose their job. They're able to 
make a choice to go straight to university, which is realistically just a choice they don't have right now, and it's a choice that they deserve. But in a statement, the Federal Minister for Social Services, Amanda Rishworth, has indicated the rules won't change anytime soon. She says the government has to make some difficult choices and simply can't fund every good idea that has merit right now. She says they understand things are tough right now and that a range of other entitlements might be available, such as Commonwealth rent assistance. In the meantime, Emily's going to keep juggling her five jobs. When I get home from work, I usually smell like the abattoir, so I go straight into the shower. All to prove she doesn't rely on her parents. I'm definitely not dependent on them at all. I feel like I'm very independent. I'm paying all my own bills, all financially um, independent. So yeah, it's just frustrating. But she's looking at the silver lining. I'm watching a kangaroo jump across my paddock right now. I'm probably not going to be able to do that in Perth. It's nice to kind of sit back from the study and kind of get to know myself a little bit more as an adult. Hack on Triple J. Louise Milan there and so many messages coming through on this one. Someone says, yes, can relate. I could only get youth allowance from 16 onwards because I was in crisis accommodation. Another person says, 22, what a joke. My parents stopped supporting me as soon as I finished high school and could find a proper job. I couldn't get any assistance from Centrelink and it forced me to defer my studies. And another person says, I've tried really hard to get youth allowance and now have to wait until I'm 22 despite paying my own rent in a different state while studying full time. I've never borrowed a single cent from my parents that I'm supposedly dependent on. We'll keep following that one up. So many messages coming through on that. Time to move on. Hack. 30 years ago, people in their 20s could all hear the rustle of leaves. Now, for one in five of them, those sounds are gone forever. On Triple J. You know that feeling when you've been at a amazing gig, a music festival, or just out at the club, and your ears are ringing, maybe a little bit tingly? Guys, that's bad. It means you're potentially stuffing up your hearing. We all love music, but a lot of us are damaging our hearing and it's permanent damage. Some new research came out this week and it shows more than a billion young people are actually at risk of hearing loss because we're pumping loud music. So listen to this, maybe turn it down a little bit. With us now is Professor Robert Cowan, an expert in audiology at the University of Melbourne. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on Hack. No problem, love it. How big was this research? Was it pretty thorough, looking at a lot of people all over the world? Yeah, this was a study that's called a systematic review. It, it looked at studies that have been uh, done in this area between 2000 and 2021, um, looking at uh, people aged 12 to 34. So it looked in the in the end at 33 different studies involving over 19,000 people. Um, in that age range to look at the the risk of potential hearing loss. We've got some messages already on this one. Someone says, I already have mild tinnitus. Another person, Ben in French's Forest, says, getting tinnitus was one of the scariest moments in my life, so I'm really encouraging everyone to protect their hearing. Just to be clear here, it's not just music, right? It's listening to anything too loud, like a podcast, even me speaking right now. Yeah, look, it, the best way to think about it is like uh, the sun and sunburn. It's a combination of how loud the sound is you're listening to, how long you listen to it for, and how often you do that. The louder a sound is, 
the less time you can listen to it before you're at risk of, of having a hearing loss. If you work in industry or in construction, um, sounds over 80 dB, your company would, would need to provide you with uh, hearing protection or rotate you out of the noise uh, under work cover rules. Um, but, you know, when we look at uh, using personal listening devices or when we look at clubbing or going to a concert, um, those rule kind of rules don't really apply. We're left to assess our own risk. So what happens to your ears when you blast them with something? Well, the, the issue here is that the loud sound causes damage to the actual uh, sense organs within the ear itself, within the, what's called the cochlea. Uh, and when those, uh, when those hair, what are called hair cells, when they're damaged, we lose the ability to hear some of the different sounds of speech, in particular the high-frequency consonants like S and SH, the, you know, the sound of a, a snake hissing. And those sounds are really critically important for us to understand words. Um, you know, the, 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 the uh, vowel sounds in speech, they carry the time intensity information, but it's the consonant sounds, those softer sounds, uh, uh, higher frequency sounds that help us to tell one word from another. And those are the sounds that specifically are, uh, end up uh, being damaged by loud sound, regardless of the frequency of the sound. Interesting. Professor Bob Cowan, I want you to hold on there for a second because I want to bring someone else into the conversation now. Tia Newling is a DJ. She's also part of the Triple J fam. Actually, Tia taught me to DJ. So <laughs> if you've heard the headliner on Bryce and Ebony, you can thank Tia for that. Hey, TT, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You've been a DJ for years around music all of the time. Have you ever had issues with your hearing? Yeah, absolutely. I was... I'll say mildly lucky that for quite a long time I didn't um, and I was definitely abusing my ears more than I should have. But during the pandemic, something about not going out, it made it really clear to me that my ears were suffering. Um, I was hearing some very bizarre things. Um, It's pretty scary. Yeah, you actually thought you had an insect in your head. I was convinced that there was a worm in my ear. Wow. Because the sound that it was making felt so real that I was like, there, there's no way there isn't something in there. And to be honest, I went to get a hearing te- or to get hearing plugs made because I thought, oh, when they do the mould, they'll find the thing that's in there. Because I can't say it to my doctor. He'll think I'm crazy. <laughs> you still believe there was I a kind cockroach of in your ear. When she pulled it out, I was like, what's there? <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? Like you went and got your hearing tested and then what happened? Basically, I went to go and get moulded earplugs because when you're a DJ, not only are you listening to the really loud music that they're playing in the club, you also then have to listen to your headphones slightly louder so that you can hear what you're doing. So you can imagine it's, of it's course, a lot. Yeah. Um, so I kind of went to go and get earplugs made because... Because I was, and I think a lot of people feel like this, I had lots of non-custom earplugs. And so I'd put them in, I'd go to the club, someone would talk to me and I couldn't hear what they're saying, I'd pull them out. I got really sick of them, they just weren't doing the job. And I didn't realise that they just weren't properly fitted ones that worked for me. So I went and got them made and um, you can't stop tinnitus. Like it kind of gets to a point and then you, but I've definitely been able to stave it off and I've noticed it hasn't gotten any worse. And you've noticed that this is something that DJs, other people in the music industry are really talking about now? Absolutely. I think it's more and more common. Now when you go to parties, I've noticed often the promoters will provide earplugs, foam ones. So, you know, they're not the greatest, but they do something. Um, I think it's really important to people now, especially musicians. For me, it was really scary. I work in radio. And my ears are a really big part of what of I course, do every day. Yeah. Um, and I realized you don't really, yeah, until it happens to you, it's really easy to just brush it off. Interesting. I want to go back to Professor Bob Cowan now. Bob, what's your advice to young people if they are worried about their hearing? 
Oh, Bob, how you there? Using, yeah, I'm there. Okay. Well, well, sorry, sorry. What was what's your advice to young people? Well, look, first, it's great that you're deep, that the DJ that you're using those uh, molded earplugs. We've done a lot of work with DJs over the past year, both to uh, you know to about fitted uh, earplugs for DJs and musicians, but also about you know uh, working with venues to uh, modify and to um, intersperse softer and louder music during the night. Uh, during at a venue to overall limit the loudness um, that uh, that happens, and uh, you know we found that venues are are very happy, and DJs have been very happy to work with uh, us on that. And uh, in that article in the conversation, there's a reference to that work. But the best advice is, you know, young people are really smart, and and the the key thing here is that people need to be aware that there's a risk and be able to monitor it. So you can go to the National Acoustics Laboratory's website. And on that website, there are apps that you can download to your phone that let you um, measure the, the sound uh, level that you're in, in a venue, and then to tell you how long you can stay in that venue before wow. you're potentially at risk of a hearing loss. Now, that changes if you put in earplugs. You have, you have a longer period of time. But, you know, it lets you be uh, aware of how to assess the risk of what you're doing and then to modify your behavior appropriately, just as you would when you went out in the sun. You know, you'd put sunscreen on, you'd wear a hat, you'd limit the amount of time you went uh, went out in it. It's the same thing with uh, loud sound. We want to be able to enjoy music now and into the future. That's the real key thing. And um, to do that, we need to be aware of the risks and protect our hearing because we only get one set of ears for it's our life. It's true. It's true. This damage is permanent. Important information. We all need to listen to this. Professor Bob Callan from the University of Melbourne, thanks for your time. You're welcome. And Tia Newling, DJ, bestie, icon, thank you as well. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Hack on Triple J. Yeah, guys, look after your ears. They're important, you know, and we don't want to be doing irreparable damage. That's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.